It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome to the show, everyone. We've got a great one for you today here on this Friday, July 23rd, as we look to preview UFC Fight Night Sandhagen versus Dillashaw, which will take place this Saturday, July 24th at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, as always, great to be back with you guys. Uh, got a, a pretty fun uh, card here to preview. Uh, and just, you know, all around an exciting time. It's an exciting time in the world of sports. You know, Giannis just won a championship for the Bucks. I mean, really just putting LeBron's career uh, to shame. Finally, a win for a small market team. I mean, this is just, you know, prime time to be alive. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma are going to the SEC where they can be subjugated to a 500 record uh, or worse uh, for the foreseeable future. So, you know, this is just a, a great time in the world of sports. Uh, we also got the start of season two of the main card showdown, the 21-22 uh, season. That's going to start this uh, Saturday, tomorrow, uh, at NSS 48. I mean, the mailman's still on this dominant streak. I have yet to decide who is going to uh, compete for the title, although it's probably Drew. It's probably Drew, to be honest, because I know he'll get his picks in. And, you know, how can we... You know, it's like the Thursday night kickoff, uh, you know, in, in week one. You know, you got to have a classic matchup. It can't just be me versus uh, Cadet, uh, who we have uh, brought into the main card showdown. You know, it's, it's got to be a compelling matchup. So it's probably going to be Drew. But, uh, no, it's exciting, exciting times. Maybe we'll get Bouse to do it at some point. He's He doesn't really seem to understand the concept. But, you know, there's... Season two. I mean, if you thought if you thought that season one was exciting, I mean, boy, you just you wait until you see the surprises that we're gonna have in season two. I mean, just season two twice as good. Um, yeah, it's pretty much it. I guess there's no housekeeping. I finally did get around to doing the rankings. Uh, post UFC Fight Night, uh, Makacha versus Moises. So those are up. A handful of rankings changes. In fact, really the only changes we made in the rankings, obviously outside of the main event, uh, was removing people from the rankings. So we finally removed uh, Tyron Woodley. Uh, we removed uh, Omar Yakhmedov because he got cut from the UFC. So, you know, there's some shifting around a little bit. I'm not very happy with the rankings. i got to be honest. Not, um, not super happy. I still think that they're mostly correct because I'm the one who made them, and, uh, you know, I use my uh, patented, uh, or not so patent, patented, uh, formula for, for doing the rankings, but the rankings are just kind of in a gross place right now. We need, we need more active fighters. I don't feel great about where I put some of these fighters uh, in the rankings. Uh, you know, I'm not like the UFC, where I have Islam at uh, five, which is just fucking insane. Riddle me how you beat Drew Dober, who was ranked 14, and Tiago Moises, who was ranked 14, and you get put up to number five. How the fuck does it? That just doesn't make any sense. Whereas the mailman's Chad way of doing the rankings, if you beat the guy, you are the guy. 
I mean, that's just the most intellectually consistent way to do rankings. It doesn't matter if you're the number 15 guy. If you're 15, if you're 11, if you're not even ranked, if you beat, say, the number six guy, then you're the number six guy. I mean, it's just plain and simple. You know what I mean? You don't you don't need a big brain to figure shit like that out. But whatever. I uh, I digress. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I might I might do an overhaul of the rankings, and by overhaul I mean some slight tweaking, just because every once in a while, you know, you, you just gotta sit down look at the rankings, and then really fine-tune it because, you know, throughout the course of the year, and I've done that a couple of times, and I think it's necessary, but, you know, you, you, you move people up and, you know, you, you focus on all these, you know, small changes and you focus on these individual fighters when they fight and are relevant in the rankings, but then I feel like sometimes you have to take a 30,000-foot view of it and, and be like, hmm, okay, at the time, making all these small changes made sense, but now I see that this person is here and that person is there and that doesn't quite make sense, so you got to correct it sometimes because uh, it, is a, it is a flawed system, but it's the least flawed system uh, in, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I think that's all the housekeeping we have to get to, so we can get right into the uh, preview here of UFC Fight Night Sandhagen versus Dillashaw. Uh, a fight that was supposed to happen, I believe, in May and then got postponed because of a Dillashaw injury. Uh, it is a 11-fight card. We did have the co-main event fall out, uh, I believe, yesterday between uh, Aspen Ladd and Macy Chasson. Uh, we'll get to some of the canceled and fizzled bouts here just because there are a lot of them, and a lot of them would make a, a big difference. You know, I think we saw this uh, on last week's card where you, you can look at a subpar card and then you just see that one fight that fell through that was supposed to happen, and you're like, God damn, that would have made all the difference in the world. That you know, Even though, say it's not a number one contender fight, it's not a championship fight that you're missing, but it's just like, oh wow, that guy versus this guy, like that really would have made a difference if that was the featured bout on the main card. Uh, so, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, I know some people are bullish on uh, the, uh, the female bantamweight division, certainly... Uh, you know, I, I think that it can improve greatly, but I feel like this is what would have, you know, shaken things up a little bit. I mean, these are this is fresh blood. This is Aspen Lad coming back from uh, a pretty extended layoff. I don't think, I don't think. Oh, she did, she did have a comeback against Kunitskaya, so it wasn't just the the loss to Durandme, but it's been, you know, over a year and a half since we've seen her fight. And Chesson, I think, is interesting. You know, a true one forty fiver. Good height, good striking, pretty really good power actually for uh, 135, and you know two fighters on the right side of 30. Uh, certainly Aspen Ladd is I don't know maybe Chasson's like 30, 31, but either way, uh, or no she has to be younger than that. But you know I always talk about the staleness of the female bantamweight division with Holly Holm and Jermaine Durandamy and even Nunez is uh, you know hindered by her own success because she's so successful that she just cleans out the division multiple times over and there's no new challenge and we end up you know getting undeserving uh title challengers like juliana pena but you know that's a shame hopefully they can rebook that uh uh relatively soon i don't know what the injury was to uh chasson uh we had a fight between a lot of bantamweight fights canceled we had a fight between trevin jones and tony kelly you know all right whatever uh, we had a really interesting one here between Rafael Asuncao and Kyler Phillips. I would love to see that. I think that's the perfect fight for Kyler Phillips. 
you know, a guy who was really on the outside of the top 15 kind of gets a, a favorable matchup against Song Yadong, who was in the top 15. I think he was 13 at the time. And, you know, a pretty convincing win for Kyler Phillips. Uh, and I, I do like his current matchup, but I, I love the Asuncao one because he's he's basically been there and done that. He's probably the best bantamweight to never win the belt. And I get he's on a pretty fucking horrendous losing streak uh, right now. Three-fight losing streak, two losses by finish. But, you know, it is to Marice, Sandhagen, and Garbrandt. And he has caused many fighters, many fighters trouble. I mean, he has a fucking win over TJ Dillashaw, win over Marisa, win over Aljamain Sterling. Uh, you know, this. I think this guy is, is the real deal. And, uh, you know, if Phillips could have got past him, then... Uh, you know, that, that really says a lot about, uh, you know, the the title hopes of, of Kyler Phillips. But I suppose we'll have to uh, wait a little longer for that. Uh, we had Aaron Phillips at Bantamweight. Uh, he was supposed to fight Cameron Else uh, or Elsie, and that fell through. I could do without it. We had uh, Sajara Eubanks and Priscilla Cashueta. I don't really care about that fight, so it's it's whatever. Uh, we had a heavyweight fight between Shamil Abdurakhimov and uh, Chris Dawkins. And that is now uh, rescheduled. It, it's a fight like that that I think really could, sw- you know, sway how you view a card. I mean, that's that's fascinating. You have this guy in Abdurakhimov who's, you know, he's headlined fight nights before. He's not a complete unknown. Kind of just, I mean, the last five years he's probably been in the in the top fifteen, but no higher than like ten. He's just kind of always there. Uh, and and Chris Dawkins, I mean, he's he's off to, to quite the start uh, of of his career. So, you know, it, it's it's a fight like that that uh, you know would have been a big spot for for Dawkins. Um, I don't know, kind of weird to see him fight after Kimov, but I guess it's a, a moot point uh, right now because uh, the fight is uh, off or rescheduled. So, you know, a handful of fights on here that probably would have moved the meter uh, just a little. Um, but we'll start here with the prelim opener uh, in the strawweight division between Diana Belbitsa and Hannah Goldie. Belbitsa is 13-6. and six. Goldie is 5-1. and one. Uh, We'll take a look at the odds shark odds for this one, and it's going to be a pick em. Both are the minus 110 favorite. I guess if you can call it that, uh, probably just better to call it a pick em. Um yeah, I don't. I really don't. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say. You know, this is um, this is the fight that you would base their the, the beginning of their careers off of. You know, this is uh, I don't know. Supposedly, there's there's uh, you know a rhyme and reason why the UFC structures things uh, on a card certain ways. So maybe they uh, you know think a little highly of Belbitsa and uh, Hannah Goldie. Uh, Goldie uh, came off the Contender Series, uh, lost her debut to Miranda Granger back in 2019, so that's a little bit of a layoff there. Uh, and Belbitsa, uh, I believe she fought back uh, on uh, on Fight Island, uh, but she's 0-2 in the UFC, a loss to Molly McCann and Lily, uh, Liana Jojua. Uh, I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm going to go Hannah Goldie. Just because she's American, just because, just because I need a, a reason to to pick something here, I really, you know, at this point, I don't I don't uh, care too much about this uh, fight. Nor do I really have any strong opinions either way. I think both of them are desperately needing a win in the UFC, 
And I think uh, 0-1 is better than 0-2, I guess. So, you know, we'll go Hannah Goldie on this one. All right, moving on here to the uh, women's flyweight division. We'll have a fight here between Sajara Eubanks and Elise Reed. Eubanks is 6-6. Six and six. Reed is 4-0. and oh. Taking a look at the odds, and Eubanks will be the pretty heavy, pretty heavy uh, minus 360 favorite. Um... Obviously, she was supposed to fight Priscilla Cachueta. I think that's uh, a more compelling fight, uh, a more deserving fight. Uh, Elisa Reed, not uh, not too familiar with her. The the and the UFC actually has Eubanks ranked at 13, so this is a major opportunity for Reed to enter the rankings in her uh, debut. Uh, it just kind of speaks to how terrible the you know the the, the, the lack of depth uh, in the um, you know female divisions is when Sajara Eubanks is uh, ranked at 13. Two straight losses to Vieira and Kianzad. Uh, I'd like to pull up, I'd like to phone a friend. I'd like to phone uh, MMA Decisions here because I'd like to see what people had to say about her fight with uh, Pani Kianzad uh, because I remember that one being pretty darn close. Uh, I don't watch fights like that super closely. I remember thinking that uh, Kianzad won that fight, but uh, you know, if you would have, uh, I'm not gonna die on that hill. If you thought that uh, Eubanks won, you know, I probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't argue with you that much. And it looks like, uh, okay, looks like basically everybody's in agreement that Kianzad would won. So I'm trying to, you know, play devil's advocate here and uh, you know build a case for Sajara Eubanks. But I just don't think she's, I don't think she's that good of a fighter to be, uh, to be honest. I think you look at her uh, wins in the UFC. Uh, and, and she's got she got some nice ones to to start her career, uh, you know wins over like a, a Lauren Murphy and a Roxanne Modafferi, but you know she's uh, four and uh, excuse me two and two and four in her last six, and uh, you know a win over Sarah Morice uh, and uh, Julia Avila don't really do it for me. She's a tough fighter. She's a gritty fighter, and she does have a um, uh, little bit of power in those hands. Uh, but uh, I, don't, I don't think she's all that in a bag of chips. But uh, at the same time, I have literally no frame of reference for Elise Reed. Elise Reed. Uh, the one thing that's interesting is she has an extensive amateur uh, background, so the the, the 4-0 is not as bad uh, as you would think. Uh, she has a win in CFFC in her last fight over uh, Hillary Rose, who I believe fought on the Contender Series last year. So... You know, this is probably somebody who's been on the UFC's radar for, uh, well, actually, that fight was two months ago, so maybe for the last two months that she's probably been on the radar. You know, maybe somebody who you would have saw in the Contender Series, but they just needed to bring up uh, short notice. It's kind of how things like this work, but, you know, pretty good uh, amateur record, which you can't always say for, um, you know, certain certain fighters, but... Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go with Eubanks because that's more of the proven thing. And, you know, she is she is durable. But I would not bet money on Eubanks. My, I think the minus 360 is crazy. I, I, I don't think anybody who's this low in the rankings should ever be that high of a favorite uh, against anybody. So if I could bet money, I'd probably put a couple dollars on uh, Elise Reed. But I can't. So, uh that's unfortunate, but you know, that's that's Minnesota for you. They're they're pretty uh, opposed to change until 35 other states do it. Then, 
Then, right when we're in the middle of the, the, the last third, right when, we're, right when we're at the home stretch, we'll do it. But, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Sajara Eubanks. Probably... Oh, I'll go by decision, I guess. She has a pretty long average fight time, so I'll go by decision. I'm not going to predict the finish here. All right, moving on here to the bantamweight division. We'll have a fight between Julio Arce and Andre Ewell. Arce is 16-4, and Andre Ewell 17-7. and Taking a look at the odds here, and Julio Arce will be the minus 200 favorite. Uh, solid matchmaking here. I mean, really, the, these two fighters are uh, kind of one and the same uh, when I think about them. They're just kind of guys who uh, tread tread water, tread employment uh, in the UFC. Uh, two guys who are relatively young. They're, you know, I, I wouldn't say either of them are in their prime, but they're just kind of toiling around. But you know, there's some uh, you know there's some some nice aspects to to both of their games. You know, Arce actually at one point was a pretty highly, uh, you know, thought of prospect. I mean, he had a pretty impressive winning streak coming into the UFC, got a finish on the Contender Series, has a win over Dan Ige, which looks really, really good. Uh, finished at Daniel Tamer. Uh, if I remember correctly, he's got uh, pretty good leg kicks uh, as as well. So, you know, the, the striking of Julio Arce uh, is, uh, you know, definitely... Um, his, his strong suit, 3.7 significant strikes landed per minute, 2.9 absorbed. So uh, pretty good defense. The accuracy is not exactly uh, uh, awesome, but the defense is really good. And Andre Ewell, basically a one-for-one fighter. Uh, you got to commend his his toughness, especially in the, uh, uh, where was it? The fight against Jonathan Martinez. Uh, you know, he, he really showcased his toughness, got the split decision win, which very clearly was a loss for Andre Ewell. I mean, that's one of the worst decisions in UFC history, but that doesn't mean I can't commend this guy for, you know, being very hard to finish. He is very hard to finish, uh, although, you know, he has suffered some defeats that way uh, in the UFC. Uh, Lost his last fight to Chris Gutierrez. Really, he he showcased his toughness uh, there as well. I I don't know if it was that fight that he broke his arm. Uh, or severely injured his arm or the Martinez fight or both to be honest but uh, you know in in the uh, interim between those two fights had a, two split decision wins or a split decision win each against Jonathan Martinez which is eh, pretty good Erwin Rivera who's an interesting fella you probably should run his name uh, you know in the old Google machine and see what Erwin Rivera is up to these days um, but yeah this, the stats are going to be on the side of Julio Arce uh, I, I think he's the, the better striker. I don't foresee a finish in this fight, so I'm going to go Julio Arce uh, by unanimous decision, but I, I feel fairly comfortable in that uh, decision, unless the judges are on the side of Andre Ewell, and then, uh, then you know, it uh, doesn't really matter. As long as it goes to the final bell, he'd win. All right, moving on here to uh, the welterweight division, and there is... Um, I guess a little bit of a disagreeance on the uh, order of the card. So it looks like there is probably some shuffling uh, of the card here. Uh, but it, on the UFC website, it's going to tell me that Mickey Gall and Jordan Williams uh, are, are scheduled to fight next uh, in the uh, welterweight division. Mickey Gall is 6-3, and three, Jordan Williams 9-4. and four. 
Uh, we'll take a look at the odds here, and Jordan Williams will be the minus 180 favorite. Uh, interesting fight. Two interesting uh, characters. Uh, someone who uh, does not belong in the UFC and Mickey Gall, and someone who has some interesting circumstances in Jordan Williams, which I'll get to in a second. But, uh, you know, starting off here with, uh, with Mickey Gall. Um, yeah, I mean, what, just a guy who doesn't belong in the UFC. Uh, he's got uh, five wins in the UFC, and only one of them is legit. The win over Sage Northcutt is legit. Uh, he beat CM Punk, who uh, is a clown. He beat Mike Jackson, who's only slightly above a clown. And then a win over George Sullivan, who doesn't have a win in the UFC, and a win over Salim uh, Tuari, who also doesn't have a win in the UFC. So uh, this guy's record is all complete fluff. Got dominated by Randy Brown, got dominated and finished by Diego Sanchez, which is saying a lot because that was in 2019. Uh, and, you know... Getting, getting finished by Captain CTE is not uh, a good sign, and then got absolutely dominated and outgrappled by Mike Perry in his last appearance back in June of 2020. That really was the nail in the coffin for me. When he got grapple-fucked by Mike Perry, he, they should have cut him at that point. Uh, that's his whole game. Mickey Gall is not a striker. He's, he's, he's a bad striker. His entire thing is, is you know ground game and getting dominated getting absolutely dominated on the ground by Mike Perry, who's just a barroom brawler fucking maniac, is uh, not a good sign. Not a good sign. And I don't really get the appeal of Mickey Gall. Is he some sort of, like, superstar or something? Why does he get all this special treatment? I don't get... Because he beat CM Punk and Sage Northcutt? What what did that translate to? Like, does Mickey Gall have a bunch of fans? I don't... Like, I don't... I don't get that. Just if this guy was treated like a regular UFC fighter, he would have been cut a while ago. I, you know, this guy gets uh, very preferential treatment by the UFC, and I, I really don't know why. Um, so if if I, if I uh, didn't make it already obvious, I think Mickey Gall is going to lose this fight because I don't think he's good, and I don't think he can beat a UFC fighter. Jordan Williams is a UFC fighter. I think he's uh, a talented guy. I think it's interesting that this fight is taking place. Uh, at 170 because Jordan Williams uh, I believe he has diabetes which makes it very hard for him to cut weight uh, so that's why he was I don't I don't even think he cut weight for his contender series fight if I remember correctly he came in at like 182 or something uh, or maybe that was even that fight and his last fight against uh, Nasruddin Imovov I think he came in well under the limit so I'm a little concerned that he's coming in at 170, but I'm also encouraged because I, I don't think he would do that if he didn't have his diet and all that stuff under control. Because the biggest concern with something like that is, you know, oh, you've compromised your your health and you're not you're going to be 65% of the Jordan Williams you would be if you hadn't done that and just fought at middleweight. So you know, I th I think it's probably a good sign that he's going to welterweight because listen, I mean, cutting weight. Even if you don't cut a lot, cutting weight is a part of MMA. I mean, to, to, to be a fighter who does not cut weight at all, I mean, that's just that's going to be... I'm not saying it can't work, but that's a really bold strategy. I mean, you're going to be dealing with much bigger guys, and unless you're the much better fighter... You know, because size isn't everything, but, you know, if you're a good fighter and your opponent's a good fighter, you know, maybe you're a shade better than him, but he weighs, you know, 11 pounds more than you... 
you know, things like this are, are, are going to matter. So uh, I'm going to go Jordan Williams. You know, it didn't go his way against Imovov. Maybe Imovov was the better fighter. But, uh, I, you know, I think he's got good finishing ability. You look at his record before the UFC uh, over in Bellator fini- finishing uh, a bunch of fights. Finished uh, two fights on the Contender Series. Had a great knockout of uh, the RoboCop uh, Gregory Rodriguez. So, you know, I, I like that he's down at, at welterweight. He's, gonna, he's automatically going to be the better striker than Mickey Gall just because he's a human being who's yeah, entering the octagon against him. I mean, that's... But, you know, the the, the wrestling stuff, eh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see about it. We'll see about it. But, you know, Mickey Gall only lands 2.2 significant strikes per minute and has a 43% significant strike defense. Those are just terrible statistical realities. So... Uh, I'll go with Jordan Williams. Um, I'm going to go by finish. I'm going to go round two, round two TKO. Thankfully, this is not on the uh, the main card. I believe earlier it was before they reshuffled. So I would hate I would hate to pick this one for the main card showdown, but luckily it's the uh, the prelims. All right, moving on here to the middleweight division. We'll have a fight between Ian, the Hurricane Heinish, and Nasserdine Imovov, the aforementioned Nasserdine Imovov. Heinish is 14 and 4. Imovov is 9 and 3. We'll take a look at the odds here, and Ian Heinish will be the minus 170 favorite. Uh, quite the fall for Ian Heinish quite the, the the fall for him uh and i'm a pretty big ian heinish fan uh there's just he has this, this is a guy who has really good strengths but just some glaring weaknesses like uh and and he's 32 so <clears throat> you know still time to develop and stuff like that but oh man this guy's got so first of all this guy is fucking massive this guy is huge. I do not know how he makes 185. This guy's fucking massive. He's athletic. He's durable. He's got a chin. He has really good power, but his stamina can lack. It, I, that's actually probably an understatement. His stamina is not really good. That's why he loses a lot of these decisions. In his in his last four fights, he has three decision losses uh, to Derek Brunson, Omar Yakhmedov, and Kelvin Gastelum. They were all competitive fights. This guy's never been dominated. They're all competitive fights, but they're all fights that are like, well, it's 1-1 going into 3, and you just gas the fuck out, and, you know, things like that. And, you know, his wrestling is is probably not that good. His wrestling probably could uh, improve. So it's like, man, I see someone there who's a diamond in the rough, a guy who was probably... How high was he ranked? He probably was right on the doorstep of the top 10, if not number 10. ten he, was, he was 10 or 11 at one point, and now he's unranked. And, uh, you know, you got to give him some sympathy because those are tough fights. You know, Brunson's a tough guy. Akhmedov is a tough guy. Gastelum, very tough. But, you know, you're going to run into tough guys in the UFC. So you, you got to figure some of this stuff out. And Imovov is probably the easiest fight he's going to have since, uh, you know, shoe face Antonio Carlos Jr. back in 2019 but I just look at a talented guy fascinating story about this guy you know being in in prison over in Europe where where was it Spain or Portugal or something like that I mean just a really fascinating guy and you know he's he's a likable guy as well but 
you know, I, I don't know what he has to do to fix some of this cardio stuff, some of this wrestling stuff. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, like Conor McGregor said, Jesus loves uh, knockouts. So, you know, you're really only one performance away from kind of getting back in the discussion at, uh, at middleweight. And I guess by the discussion, I mean, you know, back in the rankings, back fighting a ranked opponent. You know, if you go out here and put away Imovov, which he's certainly capable of doing. You know, I look, I look at, uh, you know, the win against uh, Gerald Mearshart. You know, just a little duck overhand right, just floor him and then finish him. I mean, he's he's an explosive guy, but it's just you know, you know, not very explosive. You know, in in the final parts of round two and into round three, and you know, I've underestimated Imovov uh, in, in the UFC before. I don't think I've ever picked him in a UFC fight. I, I picked Jordan Williams to beat him, and I picked Phil Hayes. Now he lost to Phil Hayes, but that was a very very close fight. Phil Hayes was very hurt in that fight and uh you know I don't, I don't know if anybody would have scored that fight for Imovov but he certainly had his moments he is a dangerous guy uh but you know he's going up against a pretty hard guy to finish here in Ian Heinish I'm gonna go with Ian Heinish and um I'm gonna go by unanimous decision I, I don't think Ian gets the the finish uh, he's going up against uh, a much taller opponent. The reach is only a three-inch advantage for Imovov, but uh, I, I, maybe it's wishful thinking. But I'd like to—I'd like to think that Ian Heinish has somewhat improved his stamina, and you know, against a guy like Imovov, can win a, a decision here. All right, moving on here to the prelim headliner. Uh, it'll also be in the middleweight division between Punahaley, Soriano, and Brendan, all in Allen. Soriano is 8-0, and Allen is 16-4. and uh, We'll look at the odds here, and uh, Soriano is the... Uh, well, technically it's a pick but I don't like when they do this. So Soriano is the minus-115 favorite, Brendan Allen is the minus-105 favorite. Don't know how they both can be the favorite, but... Uh, that's fine. We'll call it a pick here between Soriano and Allen. Uh, again, I, I can easily understand why they would put this as the uh, the prelim headliner. This this is a this is a great fight. I am all in on Brendan Allen to you know use the obvious uh, cliche. You know I've I've loved this guy since his fight on the uh, Contender series. Uh, hasn't exactly. Uh, Actually, I shouldn't even say that hasn't exactly gone his way. He really just had one loss to Sean Strickland where he got caught and, you know, Strickland never let him, uh, you know, get remove the cobwebs and finished him. So good for Sean Strickland. I think that says more about Sean Strickland than it does against Brendan Allen. But this is a guy who's 4-1 and one in the UFC, you know, had the, the very quick finish of Carl Roberson in the first round. It was... Uh, with five seconds to go in the first round, but the finish happened very quickly where Roberson was fucking around with heel hooks and shit and Brendan Allen obviously being a very well-rounded fighter. That's the one thing you can say about this guy. He's not weak anywhere. I like his striking. It, it probably could improve, you know, as evidenced by his uh, uh, finish uh, by Sean Strickland, but I like his striking. I really like his grappling as well, and you, know, you, you saw it in the win against Carl Roberson, but, you know, he's got a quick finish of Tom Breeze. He, he choked out Kevin Holland, has a win over Kyle Dawkins. That was uh, probably closer than he would have liked, but still a definitive win for, for Brendan Allen. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I was very optimistic about Allen, you know, 
being in a top five fighter at one point, I still think he will be. Uh, but obviously, you know, a little bit of a setback uh, because of the Strickland loss. And, uh, you know, he's his defense is going to have to improve here against Soriano because Soriano is a power puncher. This guy has... Uh, uh, if he, this guy has very powerful hands. You know, they call him Maki Patolo Coconut Bombs, which is a terrible, a, a nickname that's so terrible it's good. Uh, but really, it's it's Puna Haley Soriano who should be called Coconut Bombs because this guy has very heavy hands. Uh, in his debut back at UFC 245, uh, knocked out Oscar Pihota, and then back on uh, uh, back in January. Uh, on UFC on ABC One, uh, knocked out Dusko Todorovic in round number one. That was a very good knockout. So this guy has heavy hands. Outside of that, I don't really know a whole lot about him. You know, when you come into the UFC and you get two first round finishes, there's not a whole lot of tape, uh, you know, on you other than uh, you're very dangerous and probably shouldn't be messed with. But Brendan Allen, a very quick fight time of, of um, six minutes and 43 seconds. So you know, I, I project a finish in this fight. You know, the stats would back me up on that. Um, I think the most likely finish for Soriano, obviously, is, uh, you know, a, a KO finish. And the, the most likely finish for Allen is probably a submission uh, finish. Stats don't look very good for Allen when it comes to, to striking. The defense is not very good. Lands at 58%. Only lands 2.24 significant strikes per minute. So the... Uh, rate at which he works is is rather slow and does get hit with 3.5 30% significant strike defense that is really fucking bad and makes me want to pick Punahaley Soriano I'm going to go with Brendan Allen despite that fact because I think if the fight goes to the ground maybe Soriano's proficient on the ground but in fairness we haven't seen that but I'm going to go with Brendan Allen to win round 2 submission I think he survives uh, by the grace of God uh, the the first round against Soriano and maybe he can get him down early in the second, kind of, you know, work his jujitsu magic on him. But, you know, I, I, I really like Brendan Allen, uh, but uh, this one, I could see why I could see why it's a pick him. This one is uh, legitimately uh, interesting. All right, moving on here to the main card opener. Uh, it's going to be in the talent-rich bantamweight division between Adrian Yanez and Randy Costa. Yanez is 13-3. and three. Costa is 6-1. and one. Uh, We are going to have uh, Yanez as the minus-225 favorite. A damn shame that Adrian Yanez is not fighting on the uh, Houston pay-per-view. I don't know why they wouldn't do that, but whatever. Sometimes timelines don't exactly... Uh, work out. I'm glad that this fight was elevated from the prelims to the main card. This is one hell of a fight. And again, I literally say it because there's one of these fights every single fucking pay-per-view or fight night. There's always some amazing bantamweight prospect. Like, and here we have two of them. Like, oh man. They, I, I've never seen a division more rich with talent than the bantamweight division is right now i mean it's just fucking insane we need to start doing top 25s at this point but uh this is a this is a very very good fight it's going to be a a striker's delight here i don't really think this fight's going to go to the ground i sure hope it doesn't go to the ground 
if I'm being honest, because uh, these are are two high level, high level strikers. Uh, Costa five foot nine. Uh, he's gonna have a three inch reach uh, advantage, uh, and you know, Costa is a powerful guy, and he's been in the UFC for a, a little bit of time here. Doesn't exactly have you know, an extensive amateur background, you know, at six and one, this guy was in the UFC at, at three and oh, or excuse me, four and oh. So, uh, lost his debut against Brandon Davis. I think that was just because of inexperience. Brandon Davis is not that, uh, and Brandon Davis also cuts down from like 195 to bantamweight. So yeah, I don't know. He's a pretty big guy, but, uh, first round finish, uh, knockout against Boston Salmon. That was a great one. And then uh, a 41-second head kick knockout of Journey Newsome. So this guy's very, very dangerous. I, I don't see this fight going the distance. Uh, I'd be I'd be relatively surprised if it went the distance. Both of these guys are, are finishers. And then Adrian Yanez is basically just a, a bantamweight version of Jorge Masvidal when it comes to striking, except, you know, actually maybe better than Jorge Masvidal when it comes to uh, striking. But you know, this is a guy who's on a six-fight winning streak. Uh, two of those in the UFC had a, a, a first-round head kick knockout of Victor Rodriguez and then kind of put an ass-whooping on Gustavo Lopez back in March. 39-second uh, knockout of Brady Huang on the Contender Series. You know, this is a guy who who finishes fights. And, uh, man, I, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably fear the, 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 the kicks of Randy Costa a little more than I would of Adrian Yanez, uh, but I'd, I'd probably be a little more afraid of Yanez's uh, hands. Uh, but again, it's just uncanny, and obviously, you know, it's... I don't know. It, you know, it's like comparing any undrafted white wide receiver to Adam Thielen, so I hate to go for the easy, you know, cliches, but you know, because he looks, he looks like Jorge Masvidal, but it is crazy how much he fights like Jorge Masvidal. Uh... But uh, yeah, no, this this is uh, this is gonna be high level high level striking uh, between unranked bantamweights, which is kind of crazy to say. But you look at these significant strikes landed per minute, you're you're kind of hard pressed to find rates higher than this. And I understand it's not the uh, the biggest sample sizes in the world because they're both relatively young in their careers in general. Uh, well, more so Costa, but both of them, you know. Neither of them have f- four fights in, in the UFC. Uh, Yanez lands seven significant strikes per minute, only gets hit with 2.6, whereas Costa lands 7.4, but gets hit with 5.65. So the defense is not quite there for Randy Costa, although the, the differential is pretty good, but you know, getting hit with 5.6 uh, per minute is... Uh, those are still significant strikes, so, you know, that's a little concerning. Uh, I, I'm gonna go with Adrian Yanez on on this one. I, I think he's he's probably the better striker. I really like his hands, uh, quick fighter, and um, I want to go round one, but I'm gonna be a little more conservative and go uh, round two TKO finish for uh, Adrian Yanez. All right, moving on here to the women's flyweight division. We'll have a fight between Macy Barber and Miranda Maverick. Macy Barber is 8-2. Miranda Maverick is 9-2. Uh, we'll take a look at the odds here. Maverick will be the minus-155 favorite. Uh, we'll briefly check the rankings here at uh, North Star Sports. I don't think... 
Oh, sure. Okay. So uh, Macy Barber is uh, ranked at number 11. Miranda Maverick is at 13. So, you know, two fighters looking to break into the uh, top, well, in Barber's case, back into the top 10. But uh, winner, winner of this fight probably gets put in the top 10. Uh, interesting fight. I mean, two of the younger fighters uh, on the roster here and uh, two two massive hype trains, although, uh, you know, albeit they're kind of at different stations uh, at, at this point. Uh, Macy Barber coming off of uh, two straight losses, uh, you know, beat pretty convincingly by Alexa Grasso uh, back in February and then uh, 13 months before that. Uh, lost to Roxanne Modafferi after she, uh, I guess we'll say blew out her knee. Has not won in the UFC since October of 2019, so that's kind of crazy to think of. This fighter's so young, but, you know, yet it's it's been quite some time since she's won. Um, and then Miranda Maverick, I mean, kind of just the updated version of Macy Barber, although I think actually, like, uh, you know, a more well-rounded fighter than uh, than Macy Barber. Uh, has a win over Jillian Robertson uh, in her last fight and then won her debut against uh, Liliana and Jojua. Uh, I, I like Miranda Maverick in this, and the uh, recap show will be interesting, especially if Macy Barber loses, because at that point, you kind of go, well, she's not going to get cut, but you, you, you kind of go like, wow, Macy Barber, three straight losses. Like, where do you go from here? What, like, what do you do? Do you go to bantamweight? What, what, you know, what's the deal with this? You know, this, I mean, she really was probably the greatest female prospect we've seen since, like, I don't know, Ronda Rousey, like, name a, name a, or maybe, I don't, I I would say Paige Van Zandt, but I feel like that was just more media hype than, like, actually her being a a great fighter. (coughs) Excuse me. Got to take a sip of uh, the old Gatorade there. I'm sure that's probably annoying as fuck, but, um. You know, I I don't know. I I like uh, Maverick. uh, I like her wrestling advantage. And I think she's probably the better striker than Barber. You know, I've seen these clips circulating because it's fight week of Macy Barber. She's kind of pulling uh, a Michelle Watterson, just throwing jabs from 20 feet away. And, you know, let's not forget in a handful of her fights, you know, in the J.J. Aldrich fight, uh, she was getting tuned up. Her, her defense, her striking defense is not that good. She does get hit a lot. The one thing that, you know, goes in her favor, the two things really, is her tenacity, uh, you know, always looking for a finish uh, and, and being ferocious in the pursuit of that when, you know, an opportunity comes up and her power. I mean, she does have really good power for, uh, you know, a 125er. And that's why she was able to win the J.J. Aldrich fight because she hurt her once and that was all it took. But, you know, she never won, maybe outside of the Hannah Cyphers fight, but, like, when Macy Barber was winning her fights, you always kind of thought in the back of your, in the back of your head, like, this is a bubble that probably is going to get popped at some point, because she wasn't winning dominantly, she wasn't winning flawlessly, you have to commend her because she was over, but she was overcoming, you know, these obstacles that would have come up in a fight, but it always looked very labored. All of her wins always looked very labored, where, you know, like, for example, you know, when I talk about the bubble getting ready to, to, to get popped, like, okay, J.J. Aldrich is tuning you up, and, you know, if you were to fight 
uh, the, you know, the number eight flyweight, they wouldn't just tune you up. They'd finish you. So, like, that's a concerning thing. Uh, I think Maverick's going to be uh, bigger than Barber, uh, weight-wise and size-wise. Obviously, Barber has a, a two-inch height advantage, although Maverick will have a very slight reach advantage. But it's just, I don't know, I, I really want to see the striking of Macy Barber uh, improve. But, you know, Maverick's a finisher. Uh, I think she'll take Barber down. We've never really seen Barber, uh, you know, have to work off the ground extensively in her UFC career. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. But, again, it, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Macy Barber won. And I'm not trying to cop out because I am definitively picking Miranda Maverick to win this fight. But, uh I don't know. This this is uh, probably the two best flyweight prospects at this point. But you know, one of the arrows is going up and one of them's going down. So uh, I'm gonna go Miranda Maverick to win uh, via unanimous decision. All right, moving on here to the featured bout on the main card. It'll take place in the featherweight division between Darren Elkins and Derek Minner. Elkins is 25 and 9. Minner is 26 and 11. We'll take a look at the odds here. And Minner is actually going to be the minus 155 favorite. That's a little interesting. Um, neither of these fighters are uh, ranked fighters. Uh, gritty, tough, tough, gritty fight going on here. I mean, you know, two guys that. Uh, you know, have, have extensive MMA careers. Uh, obviously, uh, Elkins has been in the UFC for uh, quite some time. Also has the uh, worst tattoo probably in UFC history. Uh, and there's been some bad ones. There's been some bad ones. Who the fuck was that guy with uh, Johnny Cash? Alan Belcher. Alan Belcher's got a terrible tattoo. Uh, actually, you know, MMA has some really bad tattoos. But I think Darren Elkins' tattoo might be the worst. Uh, in in UFC history, uh, he was riding a four fight losing streak before he beat uh, Eduardo Garagori back in November of 2020. He is 37 years old. Uh, the damage has taken a shit ton of damage in his career. So this is a guy who's just a glutton for punishment uh, at this point in his career. Uh, and, and Derek Minner, uh, almost all of his fights have have you know came in the. Uh, uh, you know, Nebraska regional uh, MMA scene guy who took the uh, took the long road to get to the, uh, the the UFC, made his debut against Grant Dawson, had him in trouble. He had him in trouble, but got finished in the second round. But you know, now he's on a two fight winning streak. Uh, beat TJ Laramie, who made his debut against him, and then beat Charles Rosa back in February. Has uh, a lot of wins by submission, either by uh, triangle, rear naked, or uh, guillotine. So, uh, you know, this is uh, a very, very high-level grappler. The striking, uh, not so much. Uh, Through his three fights in the UFC, he has landed .6 significant strikes per minute and uh, absorbs three significant strikes per minute. So that's that's very, very bad. Uh, I can't really say I've ever seen... uh, stats quite like that and you know even throughout all the damage that uh, Darren Elkins has uh, taken still has a, a ratio of 3.3 to 2.8 so that's uh, that's not bad although I'd like to I definitely like to see his uh, th- those stats for his last five fights Minner 2.26 takedowns per 15 4.5 submission attempts per 15 
100% takedown accuracy, which, you know, obviously um, small sample size. But Elkins is very active uh, on the ground uh, as well, and he's also very active with submissions. So it wouldn't shock me if this fight went to the ground. Um, I don't think that behooves Darren Elkins at all. I think he should do everything possible to keep this fight standing. I think he has a clear advantage standing. I think Minner has a clear advantage on the ground, although I would say Elkins' advantage standing is better than Minner's is on the ground. But with that being said, I am going to go with Derek Minner to win this fight. Uh, we'll go... I mean, it's pretty hard to control someone for 15 minutes. So I'm going to say he finishes him in round two via a, a submission. Uh, although, uh, you know, he has not been finished since... Uh, uh, well, not been finished uh, via submission, excuse me, since 2010, uh, and that was against the uh, undefeated at the time, Charles Oliveira. But uh, again, you know, sometimes you can fall into these traps of looking at a fighter and, oh, that's Darren Elkins. That's the guy who got into wars with Jeremy Stevens or got into a war with uh, Mursad Bektich or, or Michael Johnson or or, or things like that. But, you know, it's, it's 2021. This guy's 37 years old. He's taken a lot of damage. And um, where they are uh, at, at their respective points in their careers, I'm going to have to go with uh, Derek Minner. In a pretty big-time spot here in, 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 the, in the featured bout on a main card. That's, that's a big-time spot. That's no joke for Derek Minner. All right, moving on here to the co-main event of the evening. It's going to be in the bantamweight division between Kyler Phillips and and Howlian Paiva. Phillips is 9-1. Paiva is 20-3. and three. We'll take a look at the odds here. And Kyler Phillips is going to be the pretty moderate favorite, bordering on heavy favorite here at minus 285. Um, obviously, like I said uh, earlier in the show, he was supposed to fight Rafael Sunsau, but that uh, did not come to fruition. I would have liked that fight a lot better. Uh, but Howlian Paiva is, is no joke. But he is a flyweight. He is a flyweight, although he misses weight a lot at flyweight. So it might be more accurate to say he's a catchweight. Uh, but he is a catchweight, uh, five foot eight. So you know he's not going to be he's not going to be undersized here at, at bantamweight. I mean he's basically been a bantamweight, you know, just through missing weight. But um, I, I I don't know how they. I don't know how Paiva got this fight. I wonder how they approached Paiva. I guess because this is a, you know, Phillips is a ranked fighter. But uh, yeah, no, this is, uh, you know, it's it's not going to be a cakewalk for Kyler Phillips. Although I'm certainly going to pick Kyler Phillips. Uh, Paiva two fight winning streak had a knockout of Mark De La Rosa, who has the worst nickname in UFC history, history uh, the, the the Bumblebee. And then had a win over uh, Zogish Zumagulov back on uh, the original Fight Island. Um, I don't know. He couldn't really hang with the top guys at flyweight. I don't really think he's going to hang with the top guys at bantamweight. You know, his losses to uh, Kai Kara France and uh, Hajerio Bontarine. So, you know, I, I don't know. There's probably going to be some benefits uh, to moving up to 135. That would be some shit if he missed weight. Uh, at 135, but uh, you know, never really a guy who was in the uh, was really in the picture in a weak flyweight division. So I don't think that's going to change here uh, against Kyler Phillips. You know, Phillips was always uh, a good fighter, but you know, really uh, was put in a good spot through the, uh, the 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 win over Song Yadong 
bouncing him up in the rankings. Paiva is ranked, but he is ranked as the number 12 flyweight. And they're going to have Kyler Phillips as the number 14 bantamweight. We'll take a look at North Star Sports rankings, which are the true and correct rankings. And we have Paiva at 12 as well. So, you know, I, I agree with them. And then we have Kyler Phillips at number 12 over the likes of uh, Mirab Davalashvili, Hafayala Sunsau, and Song Yandong. So, you know, a big chance here for, for Paiva. But, you know, I think Phillips is, is uh, there's not really, there's really no weaknesses with Kyler Phillips. I mean, he's a good striker. He's, he's a good grappler as well. Uh, he can be a finisher, average fight time of, of nine minutes. Uh, you know, Paiva was not really even a finisher down at uh, at flyweight, and Phillips is very active. 5.32 significant strikes per minute, 61% defense, and Paiva is a, a, a give one to take one type of a guy. So, you know, just looking at this statistically, you know, I think uh, Phillips has the advantage. Not to not to mention, you know, far more active, looking for the takedowns. He's he's going to be the bigger guy than Paiva. You know, I, I, again, I like the, the move up to bantamweight for Paiva, but, you know, Phillips is a true bantamweight. Paiva is probably a true flyweight or maybe a tweener, or maybe he will be a true bantamweight if he, you know, when he grows into his, his big boy body. But, you know, Phillips is a, a true bantamweight, so you got to figure when they rehydrate, he's probably going to be the, uh, the, the bigger guy. And, you know, Paiva's takedown defense is not bad. It's 80%, but, you know, this is against flyweights who are much smaller than him. So, you know, uh, I feel pretty confident that Kyler Phillips is, is going to end up winning this fight. And, you know, really the only question for me is whether or not he gets a finish. And um, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I think logically I could talk myself into him getting a finish. But, uh, you know, sometimes you got to be contrarian. So I think it's just going to be a, a very nice uh, decision victory for Kyler Phillips. All right, moving on now to the main event of the evening. It's going to be in the bantamweight division between Corey Sandhagen and TJ Dillashaw. Sandhagen is 14 and 2, Dillashaw 16 and 14. Uh, the UFC is going to have uh, Sandhagen as the number two uh, ranked bantamweight. North Star Sports will concur. Um. Excellent, excellent fight. I, I've been excited for this ever since it was announced probably, I don't know, in February or March. So I've been looking forward to this fight for a very long time. I mean, this is a number one contender about if I've ever seen one. That's how I'm treating this. I mean, I think you could rationalize Corey Sandhagen getting a title fight right now, you know, Dominant finish of Marlon Marais, a dominant vision, uh, dominant uh, finish of Frankie Edgar. You know, he had the one quick loss to Aljamain Sterling, who's the champ, and then, you know, wins over a Sun Tzu, John Lineker. You could say he's earned a title shot already. You know, if he beat Aljamain Sterling, he was going to get a title shot. And then Dillashaw, you could say, well, he deserves a title shot. He, ne- he's, he was a bantamweight champ, and he never lost. You know, everybody, everybody who was in the rankings in the last, like, year has been calling out TJ Dillashaw everybody wants to fight him he's in high demand so you know it wouldn't be crazy to think he, he would have got a title shot just coming straight back I think the uh, you know the controversial finish uh, that transpired between Piotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling threw a wrench into that I think if Piotr Jan had beat Aljamain Sterling legitimately or if Sterling beat Jan legitimately we might we might have seen Jan or Sterling versus Dillashaw for the undisputed title, but you know 
MMA is messy. Uh, that's uh, very evident the last fucking calendar year. It's a very messy sport, as if we ever thought it was clean. But um, I, I, I like this. I, I like this fight. It, it's very obvious the winner of this fight uh, fights for the belt. And, I, you know, I've been having a tough time figuring out uh, who I'm going to pick uh, to, to win this. It's, you know, I go back and forth between, you know, well, Sandhagen is, is much bigger. And the, and the one thing that makes me want to go with Sandhagen is Dillashaw in his last fight against Henry Cejudo lost in 32 seconds. Cejudo got the jump on him and he finished him. Well, this is two and a half years away. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is a two and a half year layoff. He got finished early in his last fight, and that doesn't bode well when you're facing a guy who's been very active over the last two and a half years. So you have one guy dealing with ring rust, one guy who's being very active, one guy who got finished in a very quick fashion, and one guy who finishes people in a very quick fashion. There was no feeling out period with Frankie Edgar. There was little feeling out period with Marlon Marais, although he finished him in the second round. So you can't really afford to be a slow starter against probably one of the best fast starters currently in the uh, in the bantamweight division. So when I look at that, I, it, I have a lot of concern for TJ Dillashaw. I think one of the most likely scenarios for Sandhagen to win is he just finishes him early. You know, that's just... Maybe I'm being too cliche or too surface level when I look at those two things, but it's like, wow, man, when I consider when I consider those two possibilities or those two factors coming together, it's like, oh, wow, that's uh, slightly concerning for TJ Dillashaw. But then you got to remember, TJ Dillashaw is uh, a very good wrestler. I would love to see him wrestle uh, against Sandhagen. Um, Although the the size is a little concerning because when you think about Dillashaw, who has he faced that's five foot eleven? He's really no, I don't think he's ever faced an opponent in the UFC who's five eleven, or even close to that tall. Uh, Sun Sao is like five foot six. Henan Barrow is like five foot seven. Uh, I don't think Joe Soto is that big of a fighter. Dominic Cruz is like five eight. Lineker's five four. Garbrand is like five eight, and Cejudo is like four foot eleven. So it's like. I don't know. That's kind of a real thing. Like, you're talking about the difference. And height sometimes is overplayed, but, you know, generally with height would come reach. And, uh, you know, that's definitely a real thing. He's going to sacrifice three inches of reach, five inches of height here against Sandhagen, uh, an inch and a half in uh, leg reach as well, which I think is relevant. You know, Sandhagen, long legs, you know, solid kickboxer. likes to throw spinning shit as uh you know the diaz brothers would say so you know my point is there's a lot of logical pitfalls here for tj dillashaw in his return the case the case for tj dillashaw is and i uh, i'm gonna you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna expand on this oversimplification but he's tj fucking dillashaw he never lost he's the bantamweight champ that never lost tj is not only is he a great fighter, I mean, he's a, he is 
he is a legend of the sport. I mean, there's a real case to be made that he's the best bantamweight of all time. Now, I still probably would side with Dominic Cruz, but you know, if you were if you wanted to passionately argue that TJ Dillashaw was the best bantamweight in UFC history, I wouldn't exactly call you crazy. I think you're probably wrong, but it's it's so close that I don't know, man. I mean, you, you know, finished Cody Garbrandt twice in his prime when he was this undefeated guy who went from unranked champion in, in under a year, you know, unseated the great Dominic Cruz, and, you know, Dillashaw comes in here and just fucking mows him down like a buzzsaw, knocks him out, and you know, in, in two straight fights. Um, you know, avenged his loss against uh, Rafael Sunsau. He lost a split decision to Dominic Cruz, which is pretty controversial, or maybe it's not controversial, but that was a very closely contested fight. In fact, I would also like to use my second phone-a-friend here for uh, my, my, my good buddies over at MMA Decisions, because I'd like to see how people scored that, because that was very close. I mean, even if you think one fighter beat the other, I mean, nobody's, nobody says, like, uh, uh, well, he won 49-46. I mean, really, it was three rounds to, to two, and... Uh, uh, let's see here. In fa- well, it looks like actually more of the media pro- scored it for Dillashaw than they did TJ uh, Cruz, Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then they, then they scored it for Cruz. So, I mean, really, you could have gone either way on that one. But with, with respect to the judges, we'll, we'll just, you know, agree that Dominic Cruz won that fight. But, you know, ended the dominant interim championship reign of Henan Brow beat him twice. So it's like... He's just got that magic, man. He's got that. He's got that magic. Uh, I, I, I really kind of throw out the flyweight chapter of his career. Um, he never should have gone to flyweight. He cheated. I believe him when he says he only ever cheated uh, when he went down to flyweight because he. Never failed a drug test at bantamweight. I don't think he was on drugs uh, at any point during his bantamweight title reign. So while you do have to consider everything when you take in the total package and consider the entire legacy of TJ Dillashaw, but specifically when we're talking about him returning against Corey Sandhagen within the confines of the bantamweight division, I don't know, it's kind of irrelevant. Like, he was, he was sucked out, he was drawn out, he was on EPO, and he just got caught. And he got beat by a really, he got beat by a legend of the sport. He got beat by a champ champ. So, you know, it's not like he, it's not like it was a loss to fucking Joe Soto. You know what I mean? He lost to a guy who's been uh, an Olympic gold medalist and a champion in two divisions. So he lost to probably a better fighter. But um, I don't know. And and he's a good striker. You know, he's a very good boxer, well-rounded guy. You know, does great work with uh, Sam Calavita or whatever the fuck his name is, you know, doing, you know, all that scientific, mathematic stuff. You know, there's a rumor that he put a, a camp, or a, put, a, put a spy, rather, in Corey Sandhagen's camp. I love that shit. This guy hates to lose. I mean, this guy's a sore loser, which, you know, is generally perceived as a bad thing, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, we're talking about, like, grievous physical harm here, and, you know, it's it's a sport, but is it, you know, and... <clears throat> Excuse me. And obviously sometimes it goes too far because, well, he uh, went on EPO to go down to flyweight. But uh, I don't know. He's a very, very competitive guy. So I'd have to imagine he's taking this fight 
ultra seriously. But then again, I like the I like the mentality of Corey Sandhagen. He seems like a really chill dude. Uh, some, some you know Buddhist white guy who um, you know realizes he has to put people to sleep. You know, you know, it's, it's like he's going through his own version of the resurrection. You know, the the Jorge Masvidal type of uh, realization. And that was just after one loss. That was that was just after one loss to Aljamain Sterling. That wasn't even after you know fucking a dozen losses like like Masvidal had. So. I don't know. You know, when it's all said and done, I, I, I am going to go with Corey Sandhagen. I, I think Sandhagen's going to win this fight. You know, again, like I was talking about in the Darren Elkins fight, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the history of TJ Dillashaw, but what he did in 2014 isn't exactly relevant to what he's doing in 2021. So it's like, yes, he is a great fighter. He's, you know, had a better career than Corey Sandhagen, but... You know, you know, when we're talking about the where they are uh, at, at, you know, the points in their career uh, right now, you know, I think Sandhagen's the more active fighter. I think he's the more dangerous fighter. Uh, I think physically he, he presents more threats to TJ Dillashaw. I think this will be the toughest fight of Corey Sandhagen's career. Maybe maybe the toughest fight he'll ever have. On Even if he goes to fight for the title. I mean, can you really say defend it? Defend it? Jesus Christ almost had a stroke there can you say definitively that if Corey Sandhagen were to fight Piotr Jan that that would be a tougher fight than fighting TJ Dillashaw I can't I can't in fact I'd probably say that Dillashaw is probably a tougher fight than the Piotr Jan fight so it's like you know or Aljamain Sterling or fucking whoever you know what I mean sugar clown O'Malley so it's probably the toughest fight of his career but I, I think he pulls it out I think he's in a different headspace right now and for Dillashaw uh, you know, you have to hope that there's no rust because if there is rust, either you're going to get down on the scorecards early or you're going to get fucking finished because Corey Sandhagen finishes fights. You know, he, he takes a, a page out of Ken Flo's book. So he's going up against the finisher. Yeah, you know, I don't want to say the sport has passed TJ Dillashaw by because I think even if he loses this fight, uh, he very well could work his way back to a bantamweight title shot. I, I don't think it's do or die for TJ Dillashaw. You know, he's a, a former champion. He is a star. Everybody calls him out. Even if he loses to Sandhagen, he could come back and beat Sean O'Malley like he stole something from him and then beat, you know, the loser of uh, of uh, Sterling versus Jan. And, you know, so and he was a pretty active fighter uh, in his prime. So it's not that it's not the end all be all for either fighter, obviously. But uh, I do think Sandhagen is going to have uh, advantages and uh, I think he'll get it done. I'm going to go by unanimous decision. I'm going to go by unanimous decision. I really want to pick a finish, and maybe I will for my official main card showdown picks, but right here and right now, I just think it's going to be a 25-minute war, and uh, Sandhagen's going to come out on top, because cardio is not really an issue for either fighter, so I think it goes to the uh, the final bell. All right, so with that, uh, we'll wrap up the preview here of UFC Fight Night Sandhagen versus Dillashaw. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. You have to, you just simply have to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media or OwenEly.com because I also bought that domain because I don't want people fucking stealing my name on the internet. 
and then you know being like oh you can have you can have www.owenely.com for fucking two million dollars so if you type in owenely.com it will take you to northstarsports.media so i am a fucking savvy businessman so either will do i have well i guess i still only have one website but i have two domains so you know that's fucking fancy this is the type of fucking innovative upgrades you can expect in season two of the main card showdown i you know expanding my business empire but again you can check that out updated uh rankings and we'll we'll be better about updating the rankings and stuff like that and obviously you can find our links on social media and uh you you know you can you can tune into this podcast i mean it's crazy i'm telling you guys because if you're hearing this you're already tuning into it but there's nary a social media platform that i'm not on or that north star sports is not on i mean Google Play, Apple Play, Spotify, iHeart, all of them. Just Podbean. I mean, you know what I mean. I've, I've, I have found podcast players that I have not uploaded or, or even given permission for them to use my shit. But yet it's on there because they just somehow have my uh, whatever you call it, the fucking feed link or whatever. So you know, basically anywhere you can uh, can consume podcasts, you can tune into this uh, program. So. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So thanks for tuning in, everybody.